office over over my over the door of my office i have one of my favorite quotes and it is uh goes along with that song it is not wasted time to wait on god and i keep it there to constantly remind me because i am a very impatient person <laughs> how many of you agree with that <laughs> um and and one and, and in fact actually we're going to actually be talking somewhat about that this morning Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Esther chapter 1. Uh, Esther <clears throat> chapter 1. Um, this year, <clears throat> our theme is anchored in Christ. And, and I, as I prayed for the theme last year for this year, uh, God gave me four perspectives of being anchored in Christ, being anchored in His provision, His promises, His peace, uh, or his plan and his peace, and and um, <clears throat> all four of these perspectives or or uh, ideas of being anchored in Christ is is important. It is it is important so that we can understand uh, what it means to be anchored in Christ. Because if 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 I just stand up here and I plead for you to be anchored in Christ. To each and every one of us, that would mean something different, would it not? But we can all understand the different dynamics of being anchored in Christ as we as we move forward. In Hebrews chapter six, and this is the verse that we get our uh, our theme this year. Hebrews chapter six, verse nineteen says, "Excuse me, which hope we also uh, excuse me, which hope we have as an anchor." of our souls, both sure and steadfast, <clears throat> in which uh, entereth into that <clears throat> we're in uh, w- within the veil. A few weeks ago, in my, my quiet time, some people call uh, their quiet time devotions. Uh, I, I pretend to uh, uh, pretend. I tend to prefer... Uh, the idea of quiet time, just because, uh, to me, it, that, that's what it that defines my time with God. It's it, I try and make it a quiet time. Uh, it, it's it's hopefully a time where I can meditate on the Word of God and He can speak to my heart and so on and so forth. A few weeks ago, uh, <clears throat> the Lord uh kind of changed my changed gears i was in the new testament and i had finished um a section in the new testament and and i was just going to continue on and and the lord very clearly directed me to the book of esther and <clears throat> the book of esther is in itself a very unique book um i've read it many many times the story within the book of esther is an incredible story but I've I've never really studied the book of Esther, if that makes sense. And so in my personal quiet time, as I started getting into the book of Esther and I started, instead of just reading it, I started studying it, I started to realize how well the book of Esther fits into being anchored in Christ. Because all four of these dynamics or or principles of of being anchored 
are very evident in the book of Esther. Those of you that have read the book of Esther and, and are familiar with it would probably agree that every one of these is very evident in the book. Now, for those of you that haven't read the book of Esther, which I'm sure there's a few, uh, uh, you're going to be hopefully learning a lot because I have, I have so, so enjoyed uh, studying this book that as I started to study it and, and, and God just started peeling back the layers of this book in, in my mind, uh, I, 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 my first thought was I, I need to share this with the church. And so <clears throat> this morning's message, because it is the, the first of a series on the book of Esther, is more kind of be more of an introduction, if you would. Uh, it's not going to be a normal sermon. Does that make sense? Um, so hopefully you'll still walk out of here with something from God, though, uh, because that's that that's why you came, is it not? Uh, let, me, let me try that again. That's why you came, right? Yes. Okay, all right. Let, are, is everybody awake? Yes. Okay, there we go. All right. So <clears throat> before we get into the into this uh, into the sermon, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of quiet time. It is during this time, it is during our our quiet time with God that God speaks to us. If, if we forfeit quiet time with God, then we forfeit his ability to speak to our hearts. I, I cannot overemphasize the, the importance of having quiet time with God. If, 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 <clears throat> let, let, let me try and put it in, in, into perspective for you. <clears throat> My wife and I have been married for 37 years. Isn't that right, dear? Yeah. Okay, okay. <clears throat> All right, shoo. Um, long, 37 long years uh, on her part. It seems like yesterday for me. Uh, <clears throat> now, those of you that have been married for more than two weeks <clears throat> will understand what I'm about to say. See, when you're dating, what is dating all about? Dating, dating is about getting to know each other. But what happens after you get married? You found out everything you learned wasn't what it really was. <laughs> yeah. You lied to me! Well, the, no, the problem is we quit talking. And we start taking for granted our mate. Do we not? <clears throat> And what happens typically when somebody gets saved? They start. It's almost like they're they're in a dating mode with God. They're they're consuming their Bible, and they're they're always in church and they're always wanting to learn and grow. And and then all of a sudden something snaps in their head, and and they all of a sudden they stop reading their Bibles, and God stops speaking to their hearts. And then they kick it into, into maintenance mode, if you would. 
And one of the things that my wife and I have tried for 37 years, well, I shouldn't say for 37 years, but probably a good 25 to 30 years of our marriage, we've tried to have a date night every week. And the, the purpose of that date night is not so we could go on a date necessarily, but so that we could spend time together. Does that make sense? Why, why do we need to spend time together? So we can stay familiar with each other. And if that, if that ever forfeits in our marriage, um, then our relationship will suffer. And it's the same with God. I'm just here to tell you that if you want to walk with God, it has to be around your quiet time with him. Your devote, you call it what you want. I don't care what you call it. Just spend time with God. You've got to. Your your close, excuse me, your closeness to God will be measured by your quiet time. If you do not spend time in the Word of God, then you will not be close to Him. It's that simple. <clears throat> and I believe that you are here because you have a desire to grow in God. I know I believe that because you're here. But coming to church is only a small part of what you need to grow. You know, if if you take a baby that is newborn and just feed it once a week, <laughs> what's going to happen? It's going to starve to death. And you have to picture your spiritual life in that manner. If you are living on your Sunday morning or Sunday evening or your two 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 meals a day uh, or two meals a week. If that is the equivalence of your uh, your spiritual life, I'm here to tell you, you are starving to death spiritually. You have got to spend time in the Word of God. Now, that's sermon number one. <laughs> I had to no, but it, it, it trust me, it'll it'll tie in at the end. R. A. Tory said this: We are too busy to pray, so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, few conversions. Much machinery, but few results. Now, he was writing this to the churches of America today. But we can apply the very same principle to our lives. We get so consumed with doing stuff that we forget to worship the very God that we're supposed to be worshiping. We do that corporately and we do it individually. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that, that the writing was signed, he went into, the house, into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, and kneeled, 
upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. What? As he did aforetime. In other words, it was an incredible habit of his. In fact, we're going to be talking about it some next week as well. But Daniel got in big trouble because everybody knew that Daniel was a man of God. How did they know? Because he spent time with God. It had become his habit. What does your habit look like this morning? A.W. Tozer said this, If a man wants to be used by God, he cannot spend all his time with people. So, there you go. Sermon number one. Sermon number two. The book of Esther. In order to kind of understand what's going on in the book of Esther. <clears throat> there, I'm going to introduce you to the, to the characters in the book, and then I'm going to give you some, some interesting facts about the, the book of Esther that will help understand what's going on. They, they, there are five main characters in the book of Esther. Uh, Ahasuerus uh, is, the, uh, is the king. His name is Xerxes. Uh, he is the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. Okay. Uh, his queen is her name is Vashti. Now we are introduced to her in chapter one of the book, but after that she she disappears. The probably main character and the namesake of the book is a lady named Esther. Esther. <clears throat> Is uh, uh, is to become the new queen, uh, and 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 all this will 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 happen. You'll understand it as the book as we progress through the book. The second main character. There's really two main characters in the book. The second main character is a guy named Mordecai. Mordecai is Esther's cousin. Okay, most people think it's it's her her uncle, but it's it's really her cousin. Uh, now, Mordecai, and I think because, because of this is why most people think it's, it's her uncle, um, Mordecai raises Esther, okay? But they are cousins. <clears throat> and then the, the third, and every good story needs a villain, right? Uh, and, then, so, and then the fifth uh, character is a guy named Haman. And Haman is the dirtbag. He's the, he's the villain of the story, but... The, the key here is that Haman hates the Jews. And primarily, he hates Mordecai because he's a Jew. So, those are our five characters. Now, here are some interesting facts that will help you understand the book better. Number one, and probably the most interesting fact is that not one time in the book of Esther is the name of God used. Nowhere will you find the name of God in the book of Esther. You say, wait a minute, wait, th this is in the Bible. Yeah, that's part of the whole point. Nowhere is the name of Esther. Now, <clears throat> with that you have to understand that the presence of God is all through the book. Does that make sense? Okay. But nowhere is his name used. 
And that'll make more sense as we develop the, the story in the following weeks. <clears throat> Xerxes, or, or um, Ahasuerus, uh, by, is mentioned here in the book uh, of Esther, is a title, not a name. Uh, it would be similar to Caesar. Caesar was not his name. Caesar was his title. Okay, so Ahasuerus is a title. The king's name was Xerxes I, or he was also known as Xerxes the Great. Okay, he reigned from eight, uh, excuse me, 486 to 465 BC. So, <clears throat> a little, you know, 450-ish years before uh, the before Christ comes on the scene. <clears throat> His kingdom is comprised of 127 provinces. Now, again, a lot of this stuff you're, you're thinking, wait, what in the world? Just, just bear with me. It, it, it all makes sense as, as it unfolds, okay? There were 127 provinces that made up the Persian Empire. <clears throat> well, the, the Medo-Persian Empire. He, Xerxes was the supreme commander of the empire. What does that mean? That means that anything he said or decreed was law, period. But you have to understand, <clears throat> he still had to be a politician, did he not? Okay, you can rule a nation, but you don't necessarily rule the people. Does that make sense? So he had to win the hearts of the people in order to rule the people. So that it, it, this, it, and again, this will make sense as it, as it comes out. But there is one very important fact that you really need to get a hold of, uh, <clears throat> and that is the events in chapter 1 are an, 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 are an, a, are an attempt to demonstrate his wealth and power to unify all of his provinces. Okay? <clears throat> if, you, if you read chapter 1 at face value, you think, what is he doing? Well, what he's doing is he's trying to <clears throat> unify all the leaders, all the kings, all the princes under... Uh, his under his reign so that ultimately he could invade and conquer the nation of Greece. Okay? <clears throat> so, as we, as we develop this chapter 1, there is a purpose behind everything that he does. And the purpose is so that he could, he could unify all 127 provinces, or, or at least the, the princes and the, and the rulers of those provinces, so that he could then form an army and then attack Greece. Xerxes wanted them to know, because of the events in chapter 1, he wanted them to know that he could afford a lengthy military operation against a very powerful enemy. Does that make sense? It would be very similar to if 
our president wanted to attack Russia, probably our greatest enemy, he would have to before, well, other than being absolutely crazy, I'm just using this as an illustration, he would have to then go to Congress and prove that, number one, we could afford it and we had the ability to do so. And, and that's, what, that's what chapter one is all about. So when you understand the backstory, chapter one makes a lot more sense. <clears throat> The sad thing is, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you this, the sad thing is chapter one works. And he got, he does go and engage Greece, but he is soundly defeated. Now, I personally believe it's because of the providence of, or the hand of God that, that does that. But if you don't understand all of the backstory, then chapter one really doesn't make a lot of sense. <clears throat> the title of my message is Wise But Foolish. Wise <clears throat> But Foolish. The book starts <clears throat> with the... Persian Empire in its glory days. Xerxes is rich, powerful, but he's consumed with pride. Let's start reading chapter 1. <clears throat> now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this is Ahasuerus, which reigned from India even into Ethiopia over a hundred and seven and twenty provinces. <clears throat> and in those days, when the king, when the king Ahasuerus sat on on the throne of his kingdom, that was in Shushan the palace. In the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all the princes and his servants. The power of Persia and, and Media and the nobles of the princes of the provinces uh, being before him. And he showed the riches of his glory, glorious kingdom to, and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and fourscore days. And when these days were expired, the king made a, f a feast unto all the people that were present at Shushan the palace, both in the day, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, both unto the great and the small, seven days, uh, uh, in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where the white, green, and blue hangings uh, fastened with cords of fine linen and purple. Uh, to silver rings and pillars of marble and uh, the beds were of gold and silver upon uh, the uh, a pavement of red and blue and white and black and marble and they gave them drink in vessels of gold the vessels being uh, diverse <clears throat> one from another and the royal wine was uh, was in abundance according uh, to the state of the king. 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Uh, Lord, as we look at this incredibly important book this, this morning, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us to see and to know how much you truly do want us to spend time with you. Help us, dear God, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Xerxes, again, is an attempting to develop this unity amongst his princes and his rulers so that he could ultimately uh, carry out uh, an, an engagement against the Greeks. My first point this morning is I want to talk about his wisdom because there is some wisdom here. Uh, had he tried to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish uh, without doing what he did, uh, it, it would have been even more fruit, uh, futile. So <clears throat> there was some wisdom here. But you also have to understand that Xerxes' dad was a guy named Darius. Darius uh, <clears throat> was, the, was the, the ruler of the Medes and Persians, obviously before Xerxes. And he tried and failed at defeating the Greeks as well. So Darius died in 486. That's when Xerxes took over. And because of Darius's defeat and his humiliation, Xerxes was compelled to avenge his father's defeat, if you would. Uh, because... Darius and Xerxes both had a desire to rule the world. And in order to do that, they had to conquer Greece. And, and because of their desire and their, their pride and everything that, that's going on here, Xerxes <clears throat> felt like he had to unite his nation, which he did, and go to battle, which he did, <clears throat> So there is a lot of wisdom in what he did here. He puts on display, we read here, that he puts on display the, the, the riches of the palace, uh, proving that he could afford uh, this a very expensive endeavor. Uh, he puts on his, the, the, the power and the might of his king kingship, and he does all of these things, but he's missing one very important element, and that is the, the element of humility. He is consumed with pride. He needed to understand the principles laid out in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In reality, we know that, you know, it is so, it is so much wiser to learn by others' mistakes. But because of his, he, he lost all of this uh, because of his pride. Not because of anything else, but because of his pride. And because of his pride, on the battlefield, he made some very critical errors. And we'll talk about some of those in the, in the days to come, or the, the, the services to come. Let's look at his foolishness. His foolishness is in two parts. Obviously, the first part is in pride. 
His, his, his pride was so consuming. It was, it was, it was as though he had... <clears throat> and this is what pride does to people. You, you latch on to something and you don't let go until either you get it or you, or you can't get it. Does that make sense? It's like a, it's like a bulldog latching onto someone. <laughs> that, that's what pride does. And, and, and Xerxes could see nothing other than his ability to conquer Greece. And, it, and he was going to do that at all cost. Verse 4 of our passage here is kind of kind of important. We we have a hard time understanding this, but it's important to understand here. Uh, in in verse four it says, and, and he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom, and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even an hundred and fourscore days. In other words, a hundred and eighty days or six months. Now. I was reading and doing some studying, and many theologians said that that this event, this six-month event of putting on display all of this stuff, cost him millions of dollars. But see, you got to understand, there was no rapid transit uh, system in those days. You know, when he called his princes and his and his rulers in from his outlying provinces, it took months for them to get there. Well, it took it took time for the message to get there, and then it took time for them to get there. So this whole thing cost him an enormous amount of money. For six months they celebrated, and then it all culminates with a seven-day feast. The feast alone, uh, again, from from some of the people I was reading. Uh, reached into the hundreds of millions of dollars to, to put on a feast for that many people for that many days. Pride will blind a person. When we get consumed with pride, we get tunnel vision, do we not? And I believe, and I believe it because it's evident here, it didn't matter how much it cost. He was going to have his way, no matter what it cost. And that's what pride does. Benjamin Franklin said this. I love this quote on pride. This is one of my favorites. It says, There is perhaps no one of our natural passions as hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, Stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive. Even if I could conceive that I could completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. <laughs> See, the, the, the problem is oftentimes in our lives, we, we read stories like this of, of Xerxes and, and his, his blatant pride that's on display for his entire kingdom to see. And we, we look at that and we label pride on it and we say, yes, that man is consumed with pride. But when it comes to our own lives, we say, no, I have it under control. I, I'm here to tell you, we all battle it. 
And when, when pride grabs hold of our hearts, we get tunnel vision just like Xerxes. And it is an all-consuming fire that will eat you from the inside out. And it will ultimately, like Xerxes, destroy you. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, <clears throat> For I say... Uh, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. See, pride takes root in our hearts when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. If we have a sobering understanding of who we are, then that is the first step of fighting pride in our lives. But you have to understand the, the, the mentality of a monarch in those days. He had absolute power. It, can you see how easy pride would be to come in and set into the heart of a man like that? We see his foolishness not only in pride, but we also see it in lack of control. Look at verse 8. And the drink was according to the law. None did a compel, so the king, <clears throat> excuse me, for so the king had appointed to all the, uh, the officers of his house that, he, that they should not uh, according to every man, excuse me, that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Did, did you get that statement? that they should do according to what? Every man's pleasure. That's a bad place to be, okay? But that is at the heart of the seven-day feast. Whatever they want, give it to them. Why? Because if they get what they want, I will get what I want. Verse 9, And here we see, Vashti the queen also, Vashti the queen, made a feast for the women in the royal house, which belonged to King Ahasuerus <clears throat> on the seventh day. So the, so the last day of the feast, everybody's drunk, everybody's out of control. When the heart of the king was merry with wine, in other words, he was drunker than a skunk, <laughs> he commanded... These people, I'm not going to go through these names because I'd butcher them. Let's go to verse 11. He commanded these people to bring her into his presence. Uh, verse 11, to bring Vashti, the, the, the queen, before the king uh, with a crown royal to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But, and this is the whole rub right here. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command by his chamber, chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth and his anger burned within him. So he, was, he, had, he had a lack of control. The first and most obvious is the fact that he was drunk. He was, he was out of control. Nothing good comes from a drunk mind. I'm just here to tell you. I know this 
from first hand. My my grandfather was was a drunk. Okay, I'm just I'm just gonna call it what it was. I love my grandfather. Okay, I'm just but I'm telling you he was a drunk. When I was a senior in high school, <clears throat> occasionally if I had a a, a a Saturday off, I would I would drive to the town where my grandfather lived about an hour away. And I would start in, at one end of Main Street, and I would, I would start, and I would go from bar to bar to bar to bar until I found my grandfather. I would then drag him out of the bar, do my best as an 18-year-old kid to sober my grandfather up, take him to a restaurant and get some decent food in him, and then take him home and do my best to spend time with him. I know what it is to be around a drunk. Nothing good comes from that. You cannot rationalize with a drunk. I used to remember my grandfather as, as I would find him in the bar. And he would put his arm around me and he'd say, no, he says, let's just stay right here. No, Grandpa, I need to spend time with you. Let's, you know, let's go. The biggest mistake, the biggest mistake that Xerxes made was allowing himself to lose control. And because of the fact that he lost control, we see, well, before I do that, let, 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 me, let me read you this because this is an important verse here. Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uh, uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing uh, to say to you. In other words, Titus here is, is <clears throat> in the book of Titus, Paul is trying to get us to understand the importance of being sober-minded. Can you put uh, the uh, verse 6 back up, please, Chris? Because this is an important concept that we need to get a hold of. The idea here of being sober-minded has nothing to do with alcohol or drugs. But it has everything to do with good mental health. In fact, the word literally means uh, to have good mental health or to be in one's right mind. And if there is anything in our lives that robs us from having a sober mind then it's a wrong thing to have. I don't care if it's alcohol. Or, I, I don't care what it is. Danny knows this of me. Uh, <clears throat> I, have, I, 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 am, I am the lucky recipient of migraines. Uh, God has given those to me as a thorn in the flesh, and I love them. <laughs> That's a joke, okay? <clears throat> but... <laughs> But when I first started getting the migraines, the doctors were trying different medications on me. And I do you remember what they put me on? Dopamax. Dopamax. Topamax. Topamax. Well, 
my wife and Danny and daughter, yeah, because she wasn't married yet, um, they, they were about to kill me because I was not in my right mind. Yeah, it was. It, 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 now, now was, was I doing anything wrong? No. But I went, I finally, I got to the point, I went to my doctor and said, I, I don't care if I have a migraine every day, you got to get me off this stuff because I was not sober-minded. So we need to be very, very, very careful of, of what we allow in our, in our lives. Again, this is not so much to do with the alcohol as it is the fact that we need to stay sober-minded. Because if we are not alert, we don't know what's going on, then we cannot make good and right decisions. And we see that in the life of Xerxes. He allowed things to take control. I need to hurry. I'm, I'm losing time here. The other thing is we see in verse 12, he became angry. <clears throat> verse 12, the end of verse 12, it says, uh, and, and his anger burned within him. What happens when we get that mad? We lose control. So not only so he, he had a double whammy going on. Not only was he drunk as a skunk, but he was so mad. He, what, what, what did they, what's the, the phrase? You, you get so mad you see red? Okay? That's where he was. He was out of control. And because he was out of control, he made some really poor choices. <clears throat> let's, 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 let's talk about his decree. His decree. Verse 15. <clears throat> Excuse me. What shall we do unto the, uh, to the queen Vashti according to the law? Because she uh, hath not performed the commandments of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains. And, and this guy, whatever his name is, Mamukin, uh, answered before the king the prince uh, and the princes, Vashti the queen hath not, uh, uh, hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people and all the provinces of the, of the, of the king of Hajwara. So I'm, for time's sake, I'm just going to cut this short. Basically what happens is his counselors and all his princes get, get offended because a woman is standing up to the king. Okay? And, and all of the princes and, and, and all of the people there are saying, look, if you don't do something then we're got to go home and answer to our wives. So you need to squash this thing. And, and, and yeah, he was, yeah, the feminist would go crazy over this. Okay? <clears throat> well, not no, there were no feminists because they killed them all. Um, <clears throat> so, <laughs> so he makes a decree that basically banishes Vashti forever. Now, you, you have to understand, and, and this is where it gets really important to get a hold of this, the Medes and Persians had a law that if the king made a decree and set his seal to it, it was, it was as though it was written in concrete. It could not be changed. So, in his anger, his drunkenness and his anger, he makes a choice to peace again why is all these princes there so that he could get what he wants so he is willing to forfeit anything to get what he wants 
So in order to appease all of these princes and all these rulers, he makes a decree banishing his wife forever. That's an incredible impact. So we're going to skip a few things here. So Chris, we're going to go right to point number four, okay? I had some other things I was going to talk about, but it's really not important. If you want to understand about the decree, go to Daniel chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. Uh, It it explains the the decree of the Medes and Persians very well in that passage. So anyway, his regret. His regret. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 2. I believe the entire book of Esther revolves on this one verse. After these things, when the wrath of the king Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Now, again, to understand Verse 1 of chapter 2, there are some things you've got to understand. So, is the <clears throat> there are three key words here that, that you, you, it, it just, you got to get. <clears throat> After these things. What are these things? Was it after he sobered up from his drunken party? Yes. Was it after his anger had subsided? Yes. But what we're not told in Scripture, but we have learned through history, when you take history and you you blend it with, with Scripture, you learn some really cool things. The time difference between chapter 1 and chapter 2 is four years. In that four years, Xerxes got what he wanted. He was able to assemble the largest army that had ever been assembled in the history of the world in that four years. And his military was soundly defeated. These things. things. Think about this. After these things, he's back in his palace. His plan worked. His, his, His people rallied around him. His 300 ship navy, get this, 300 ship navy was defeated in a single battle uh, at the at at uh, Salamis, wherever that is, I started to look it up and I ran out of time. Doesn't matter. But his entire army, his entire navy, was defeated in one fell swoop. Whew, gone. His entire army, the largest army ever assembled in the history of mankind to that point, was defeated in a single battle at the Ropoli. This is all world history. You can look it up. 
The Greeks stomped them. There's no other way around it. And he makes his way back to his palace after four years absolutely defeated militarily, emotionally, and personally. Can you imagine how low he is? His regret. And what was the one thing that he He didn't regret going to battle. What did he regret? He'd lost his best friend. He'd lost his best friend. His wife could not be with him ever again. What an idiot. (laughs) He needed Vashti. Now, what I I want to get here, and we'll pick this up next week, is the regret. Can you imagine standing in the halls of the kingdom... Of, 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 the, of his palace regretting your decision to banish your wife. What a horrible, horrible way to live. At the beginning of the message, I spent some time talking about the importance of having quiet time. And you, and, and you may be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, what does having quiet time and, and the introduction to this book have to do with each other? Well, I'm here to tell you there's a lot, they have, there's a lot in common here. In his wisdom, Xerxes did what he thought was right. See, he lived on his wisdom but he still lost everything. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto the counsel of is wise. If we are going to be anchored in Christ as individuals, as a church, our lives need his wisdom. We, if we live in our wisdom, we will live a life of regret. But if we will spend time with Him every single day, then His wisdom will pour into ours. His provision, His promises, His plan will then become our peace. But apart from that, we will be just like Xerxes, living in our own strength, living in our own wisdom. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this majesty among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Get a hold of that. Christ in you. The hope of glory. How do we get Christ in us? We get Christ in us by spending time with Him. 
And here we see Xerxes as an incredible example of a man who did everything the world would say to do. He, he, he put on this huge party. He put on his glory and his, and his wealth and, so that everybody could see it, so that the entire nation would rally behind him. And he got all that. But he was so consumed with pride, he never one time. Now, we don't know what the circumstances were, but not one time did he ever turn to God. Now, obviously, he was a heathen ruler. But my point is this. He is a perfect example of what you could be if you don't walk with God. These things, the regret. Let me close with this thought. The title of my message is, <clears throat> well, let me look at it and make sure, okay. <laughs> Wise but foolish. Will you be wise or will you be foolish? See, humanly speaking, Xerxes was wise, but yet he was foolish. Wise in the, world. Wise in the, wise in the eyes of the world but foolish because he allowed things to, to alter his thinking. Do you have a desire this morning to be wise? Well, let me answer that question. If you have a desire to be wise, consume this book. This book will give you the wisdom. If you have a desire to be foolish, don't bother. Either you will walk in his wisdom or you will walk in your own wisdom. And I'm here to tell you, if you walk in your own wisdom, you will live a life of regret. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly